This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 2, Episode 9. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by XS Sites. Today is Thursday, June 3rd, 2021, and I am your host, Riley Bowman. And I'm joined by Matthew Marister. Still kicking, man. Still here. <laughs> Graybeard. Yeah, it's getting there. My mom just commented on uh, to me the other day. I was FaceTiming her, and she was like, man, you're getting really gray. So <laughs> that was good. Yeah, the beard's coming back. Yeah. Isn't it a little hot for that? Not yet. We had a little <laughs> cold snap here in, in central Ohio, so. Yeah, actually, I did hear a little bit about that as far as like that region of the country being a little bit cooler, also getting some some rain here and there. So Yes. Yes. <laughs> Substantial rain. <laughs> I was watching some of my buddies over the weekend shooting the Mid-Atlantic Sectional Championship in mm. PSA, and uh, it, was, it was wet for them. <laughs> anyway, um, we are here with a legislative updates episode. If, the, if you are new to this or new to the podcast, uh, once per month, typically on the first Wednesday of the month, since we typically record these on Wednesdays, although today is Thursday because we got off by a day in the schedule uh, for various reasons. But anyway, uh, once per month, we do a legislative update episode. We also have a couple other episodes we do once per month, such as our justified saves um, also, uh, uh, industry news and gear reviews are, are, is the other, kind of the other one that we do. And so here we are doing legislative updates and we got a lot of great stories for you today. Just to kind of preview a little bit of it. We're going to talk some more about the Supreme court Coniglia ruling, which is really, really important. Uh, we've had some more thoughts on that. Uh, so we'll, we'll break that down some more. Uh, plus there's some words directly from Mr. Coniglia himself. Um, which I think is kind of interesting to you know give his perspective. Uh, we're going to talk about the ATF trying to redefine what a firearm is. And by that, uh, a firearm is defined as a frame or receiver. There is a, a part of a firearm that's labeled as a frame or receiver, and that is the part that's serialized. They are looking to expand what that is defined as, and that is very, very important for us to understand and maybe do something about. So we'll, we'll be talking about that quite a bit here today as well. We're also going to talk about uh, constitutional carry bills out of the states of Louisiana as well as Texas. Uh, one bit of good news, one bit of not so good news, and also some laws out of Montana uh, dealing with also constitutional carry, but also campus carry. So uh, stay tuned for all of that. Uh, these are important updates, of course. We do our best to to bring this to you. Unfortunately, due to time, we can't always cover everything that's going on in the legislative world uh, regarding the Second Amendment, but we do our best. Today's episode, first, though, I should mention, is sponsored by CCW Safe. CCWSafe.com, of course, is the website. Podcast listeners automatically save 10% off a CCW Safe membership, which I highly recommend, just by using the coupon code CC Podcast. CC for concealed carry. CC Podcast will save you 10% off of a CCW Safe membership, which is my self defense legal coverage 
membership of choice. Uh, so definitely encourage you to, if that's something you're looking at, if you're looking at getting that type of coverage or membership for the first time, uh, I would encourage you to do research. But uh, for me, I did a lot of research, and for me, the CCW Safe is the best fit. Uh, you can also go to concealedcarry.com forward slash insurance, which is a short link to a page where we break down and define and explain the various different programs that are out there. I think if you do a lot of the research yourself as well, you may very well end up with the same choice that I did and choose CCW safe again, save 10% by using the code CC podcast. Uh, if you're joining um, uh, guardian nation members, uh, those that are members of our, of our special of our membership program, uh, which grants you access to tons of online training video content and other content as well. Uh, but also a bunch of industry and product discounts. And that includes a 20% discount off of CCW safe, which is substantial. I might add it almost, I mean, you, you basically get like two months free, actually a little bit more than two months free. Um, just by using the special guardian nation members only discount with a CCW safe membership. So, and plus you get a huge discount off of the guardian conference, the training conference we're putting on in the city, the hometown, the headquarters of CCW safe, which is Oklahoma city, of course, the Oklahoma city gun club in September. So, uh, members save big time on that. But anyway, super excited to have this podcast sponsored by CCW safe. Super excited to have them as our title sponsor of the 2021 Guardian Conference. Also a sponsor of the 2021 Guardian Conference is XS Sites, who is the, they are the title sponsor now of the Concealed Carry Podcast. I've been a user of XS Sites, particularly their F8 Night Sites for several years now, and I like them a lot. They work great for me on my pistols. I've got them on my SIGs. I've got them on my Glocks. Uh, those of you that have known me a long time know that I like the F8 sites from XS Sites. I'd encourage you to give them a look or any of their other products that you may find on their site at xssites.com. Again, that is the letter X, the letter S as in sites, but xssites.com. And we appreciate them for being title sponsor of the podcast. Guys, thank you for your support of our sponsors because without that support, we would not have them as sponsors and uh, we may not be able to continue producing the podcast now 509 episodes in. So, wow. Yeah. Season two, episode nine. Crazy. <laughs> All righty. So let's get into it, Matthew. Uh, again, we, we mentioned we were going to come back to the Coniglia ruling from the Supreme, the, the United States Supreme court. Um, you want to give us, kind of your thoughts on that and, and 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 you know we've got an article here of course guys if you want to see the different stories and articles that we will be sharing here today you'll find you'll find links to everything in the show notes show notes by the way can be found on the website concealedcarry.com uh looking for this this episode in our in our posts you'll see the show notes there but you'll also find the show notes a lot of times in most of your podcast apps as well i can't speak to exactly how you access those for every app but a lot of times like tapping on the album art of the podcast will bring up show notes or swiping up may, may do that as well and you'll see links to each of these different uh, not not only the stories, but also to our sponsors and that kind of stuff. 
But first we have this story out of Rhode Island uh, where the town of Cranston, uh, their police police department seized a man's guns. And, and by that, this man, was, his name is Edward Coniglia. And so now this will be, be known as the Coniglia ruling. Uh, but they seized his guns in 2015. It took him six years to arrive at this ruling. By the way, I thought it was interesting, Matthew. This this jumped out at me as I read through this article from the Providence Journal, providencejournal.com. Uh, he said for him, this is not about uh, being awarded damages. Mm-hmm. He was not trying to get like rich off of this or anything like that. Um, he just simply wanted to have his rights reaffirmed and have his legal costs in pursuing this uh, uh, reimbursed. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, you know, I mean, like, you know, a lot of people would be like, well, hey, this has caused me a lot of pain and headache, you know, so like I want my legal costs covered, but also $2 million or, you know, something like that. That's what, that's not what this was about for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned that we had covered it um, on the industry news episode, but not so in depth, you know, legally speaking, just kind of uh, notification that, it, that the ruling was made because it is a it is a pretty big ruling and, and a lot of people jumped on it as a Second Amendment case but you know we kind of pointed out back then it, it really I mean it is it has Second Amendment implications but it's really a Fourth Amendment case um, but you, you know in in general and if you didn't if you're not familiar with the case in general this is what happened so um, Cranston police. Um, let me back up. Uh, this Edward Coniglia and his wife are living in this home and they have a, a, a dispute or having an argument. Um, and Edward has a firearm. It's unloaded handgun. He puts it on the table during the dispute and tells his wife to shoot him. Um, obviously, um, he's probably speaking, you know, kind of, uh, not, not, you know, literally he doesn't want her to shoot him, but he he's upset not the smartest thing to do. Right. Um, so she leaves the house and goes to her sister's house, I believe, or, or a hotel for the night to kind of let things cool off. Um, in the meantime, the next morning she calls her husband. He doesn't answer the phone. She's concerned because she thinks he might've killed himself or, or done something, not any specific threats. He didn't, she, you know, she didn't tell police that he made any specific threats that he was going to kill himself, but just that he had a firearm in the house and that now he's not answering the phone when she called after having a dispute the night before police show up, uh, talk to him and the, the reports is, is that the police kind of say, hey, we don't think that you're, um, you know, a danger to yourself or others where we were going to take physical custody of you and, 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 you know, compel you or take you to um, a center to get evaluated for mental health or anything. But we just recommend um, that you go and get checked out and make sure that everything's OK. And he has some concerns about his firearms. And according to Coniglia, Edward um, the police say, no, we're not going to seize your firearms. That's fine. And he says on that promise that, okay, I'll go. So he goes on his own voluntarily. So he's not committed. He's not, he, he goes voluntarily. Um, police seize his firearms. They don't have a warrant. They don't have any exigency. It's not, there was no crime that this is evidence in. Um, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not illegal contraband or anything like that. 
So they seize it and then they use a the justification of community caretaking, basically the same thing that you would do if there was a car on the side of the road and the police had to impound that car, that vehicle, because the owner was you know, taken to the hospital or something. So they take te- temporary custody of it, um, of, the, of the vehicle. So they use that as justification to take his firearms from inside his home without a warrant and without his uh, consent. Um, and he filed a suit saying, you violated my rights. I never gave you consent and, and so on and so forth. So Supreme Court um, took five years and but the Supreme makes it up to the U.S. Supreme Court and they rule unanimously on um, Edward Coniglia's um, behalf. And uh, and like you said, it was it, it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of people would try to seize on this and make money. And he was just like, look, I mean, this was wrong and I want I want, you know, I, I, I'm right. I was right. I'm happy that I was right. And I just want to be you know compensated my time uh, and money for uh, my defense and everything. and. Um, yeah, I, and, and I'll let you kind of comment on the implications that it has for red flag laws. Cause I know that's kind of, uh, where a lot of people went to with this ruling right away. Yeah. You know, and as Christy is commenting on Facebook, uh, she says community caretaking is dangerous on so many levels, uh, easily abused. And, and I agree with that because, um, you know, it, it's, it's a subjective, uh, it's a subjective legal doctrine, um, meaning that it, 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 it requires judgment calls on the part of an officer or officers on the scene of whatever, looking at a situation and going, okay, here's what we got to do. And, you know, due to community caretaking, uh, we, you know, we're going to take this gun in, or this uh, car, for instance, into custody. I mean, Outside of the home, typically with vehicles is probably the, would you agree with this, the, the primary or the most common uh, community caretaking type situation that you would find? Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and that makes sense because, again, you may very well have a individual for whatever reason, whether it's a medical emergency or it's a, you know, a situation where they've broken up. Uh, they've committed a crime and they've been arrested and now you've got a vehicle that is taking up space on a public right of way. And that's typically where we run into this, that will, that needs to be removed. Um, the, the individual that's responsible for that vehicle is not able to move it themselves for a variety of reasons. And and so that needs to be you know, essentially confiscated. The, the, you know, in that moment, that vehicle is being confiscated and towed and, and dealt with. Um, but we have to go back and remind ourselves that, I mean, yes, there are some exceptions like this, but we got to remind ourselves that, you know, when we're talking about Mr. Coniglia's situation, this is dealing with his home. And we specifically have a fourth amendment that reads the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Mm -hmm. Uh, Specifically houses are called out uh, in the fourth amendment. Obviously vehicles didn't exist at that time, I guess, wagons or carts or something did. Um, 
but uh but even in those you know even those might be classified under uh, uh under effects or persons you know property uh but uh but specifically houses have and, and very well should i mean we have another amendment that deals with uh you know not being forced to house government people soldiers you know and that sort of thing and so um our homes are a and, and this was this was very unique for the united states at the time that the constitution and the bill of rights was put together was authored and created uh that that you know we took a domain like a home and said look this has protections against the government interfering intruding you know being all up in our business uh, and that's pretty important it needs to be uh, maintained and so you know to Christie's point on Facebook, like her comment talking about how community caretaking could be really abused. That's why this case is so important because essentially that's what we, and there have been mixed opinions from a variety of courts throughout the country over the last however many years where similar cases have come up and various courts have ruled one way or another in terms of whether it fit that community caretaking exception. And now we have, we have the Supreme Court of the United States that has handed down this ruling that much more clearly defines and says, no, look, you know, a vehicle out there in public space on public right of way or that sort of thing is very different and distinguishable from a person's home. Mm-hmm. And yes, we recognize that there are exceptions when an officer may need, may, need, may need to make a judgment call regarding whether it's, you know, they show up to a home and discover that there are children unattended, you know, at the home uh, or that there's somebody having a medical emergency or that there's somebody that has immediate threat to life. Uh, you know, those types of very, very clear exceptions. And even, of course, there's still some judgment and some some gray area there to some degree, but it's a lot that's that's a different circumstance than, well, this guy did something that we don't like that we think might be a threat to him or somebody else might. We're going to take him willingly to the hospital for an evaluation. And in that time, he's separated from his gun. He's being evaluated. That's the concern is he may be mentally unfit and we need to have him checked out. He agreed to do so. Guess what? If he checks out, then why are we taking his guns away still? Mm-hmm. Right? So super important to see this ruling go the way it did uh, because otherwise this would open up Pandora's box as it relates to police officers in particular subjectively going, hmm, you know, because, I mean, Matthew, tell me if I'm right or wrong in this. Are there times where cops might use the community caretaking uh, exception to, you know, like they're trying to find sure. reason to use as an exception so they can, so they can find something that they, they, that they think is there? Sure. I mean, vehicle impounds, right? Like you're, you're, you're taking that vehicle, you do an inventory, but you're not doing a search, right? But some of the officers may 
look at that as a search. I'm trying to find something instead of inventory. Right. It might, it, it's not semantics because there's a purpose behind a search and a purpose behind an inventory. And, and I think there's like a nefarious side to this, but there's also like, and, and what my fear was, was when all the red flag stuff started coming out is there's a, there's a reaction to be like, I don't want to be the guy that doesn't seize the guns. And this guy comes and like shoots up his family and kills himself. And I don't want to be the cop that like was there and could have seized them, but I didn't. So I'm just going to err on the side of caution. So everybody along the line kind of errs on the side of caution. And then it's an overreaction. Right. And then, so, I mean, we can't, we can't believe that this is the only case that this has ever happened. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this, this is one case. I guarantee you that this has happened hundreds of times throughout the country. Um, and so, you know, until until there's a, a court ruling on it, it, it's, it continues because nobody wants to be that, that guy or girl, whatever, um, that, that allowed this to happen. Right. And so I, I, I think if that could inf- affect judges rulings, like if they're given like an ex parte hearing and somebody's giving them evidence and they're like, I don't have an, uh, you know, an opposing side where this guy's justifying or, or, you know, uh, speaking on his behalf, but, you know, I don't really want to, I'll err on the side of caution and issue this, this order to seize these firearms. He doesn't want to be the judge or she doesn't want to be the judge that said, no, I'm denying your red flag request. And then that guy goes and shoots up a school. I, I just, you know, so yeah. And again, the court did not specifically, this was not taking up red flag laws right. and the constitutionality of those, although there may be some carryover, especially depending on how a state may define certain aspects of their red flag law. Uh, I do certainly believe that this Coniglia ruling strengthens the case against many red flag laws. Um, and I think that's a positive thing mm-hmm. because again, we've, we've broken that down numerous times in the podcast about the dangers of red flag laws uh, and uh, I mean, the Fourth Amendment is a huge, huge, huge concern with respect to red flag laws, and this strengthens a very important aspect of that. Uh, again, if this had gone, if this ruling had gone the other way, uh, or if the Supreme Court had elected not to uh, to rule on this or to take this this case up, uh, then then that you we would be in a position where you, you would you would have additional cases and additional situations where uh, law enforcement in particular, because that's usually the one that the ones that are doing that are performing the job where they would uh, uh, be potentially claiming community caretaking uh, to then have an excuse, if you will, to go in to um, into a home, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and thereby in, and in the process of doing so perhaps discovering evidence uh, readily seen and invisible and, and that sort of thing that, that, you know, might then go against a person, uh, when again, there's, there's a fourth amendment in place mm-hmm. and, and we have a, a reason to feel secure in our homes and in our personal effects. And that's what that's all about. So, um, anyway, huge ruling here. I think this will, uh, and again, this was a unanimous ruling. So all nine of the justices uh, agreed with this, mm-hmm. you know, which is, I think, very, very telling. Uh, the other thing I thought was really interesting about this case, Matthew, and I think I read this before, you know, and, and knew of this, but kind of for, forgot about it. 
Um, cause certainly the second amendment community is like, rah, rah, rah. Like this is a good, you know, this is a good thing and, and try to take credit for it. But it was actually the ACLU mm-hmm. that, uh, picked this case up and ran with it. Yeah. Um, which, you know, sometimes the ACLU picks the other side as far as like goes after certain things that, uh, might as the second amendment community would, would perceive, you know, harm the second amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to kind of see that and, and how uh, I think from the ACLU's perspective on this is that this is a very clear Fourth Amendment issue, regardless if there's guns involved or not. Uh, this was officers going into a home and seizing property that did not have a warrant uh, to do so. Mm-hmm. And this case clarifies the need for a warrant to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how this uh, carries on into some of the and I I can just about promise you if it's not already and i haven't seen anything yet but i can just about promise you there's going to be red flag law challenges that are going to try to uh connect um the coniglia ruling to the constitutionality of those red flag laws in various states yeah. and it'll be it'll be interesting to see what where that goes let's move on now to uh we've got an article from ammoland.com uh it's titled atf releases proposed rules for so-called ghost gun receivers and frames. This is a really important one, guys, uh, because basically what we're talking about here is how the ATF is exploring the idea. And by the way, this is certainly in cahoots with the Biden administration. It's very apparent uh, and, and well known that the Biden transition team way back in November, just shortly after uh, it was announced that that Biden had uh, been elected. Whether you agreed with it at that time or not, that's what the media was saying. And then the transition team was already getting to work and they were already like within days after the election, the Biden transition team was having conversations with the ATF and essentially trying to start the, the dialogue, you know, of what the Biden administration, what their priorities would be with certain firearms related laws. Um, and it seems pretty evident that what came out of that is this, this directive uh, from the ATF to revisit. And, and it's all, it all circles or encircles the idea of so-called quote unquote ghost guns, right? That's, that's the big, big driving thing here is, you know, there's this uh, perception that ghost guns are a rampant problem throughout the country. Now, by the way, to be clear, all right, okay, because we, we, we always strive for accuracy and honesty on the podcast. To be clear, our ghost ghost guns, and by ghost gun, what are we talking? We're talking essentially homemade firearms, all right, um, which, by the way, homemade firearms for your own personal use and enjoyment has been something that's legal for you to build. Again, this is for, we have been since the beginning of time in this country, able to build our own firearms for our own use. That has never been in question. Okay. Now there's certain firearms that we're not allowed, you know, things like NFA uh, uh, controlled items, that kind of thing. We're not, supposed you know I, I would debate that the, that I think those things should be able to be made homemade okay and we're talking about machine guns silencers suppressors etc um, but anyway to actually just build a firearm 
that has been legal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now enter things like Polymer 80, you know, and these companies pr- providing products that made that much easier to do. And that's how we arrive where we are now. You go buy a Polymer 80 kit, right? And it's just it's just a piece of plastic molded in the shape of a of a grip and a gun. And you know, you've got to do some manufacturing to it to uh, you know, to drill some holes, make some cuts, you know, router out some chunks of plastic, whatever, and then install a, a frame or frame rails into that. Um, and then of course everything else is readily available for purchase as well. Your slide, your barrel, your internal parts, your trigger, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're at a time where, and, and this comes as a result of technology and improvements and so forth. So it's very easy for us to manufacture our own firearms. I've done it. Many others, even listening to this podcast, I'm sure have done it. Um, and it's completely legal and has been legal. And I think is entirely appropriate to be fair. There has been, I believe, you know, because it's it's documented. There's been more and more criminals that are f- caught and found with self-made or homemade firearms, as well. Many of these eighty percent kits, as they are also referred to as. By the way, eighty percent is a very n- nebulous term. Um, it's it's basically when a fire manufacturer makes an 80% receiver, uh, there's there's not a super clear definition of, you know, this thing here is 80%, but this thing over here is 81%, therefore it's over 80% and not legal, you know, from or, or therefore has to be regulated at that point. Um, but basically the idea is, as a general rule, if a firearm is finished beyond 80%, it's got to be serialized. And that happens in the manufacturing process. Got companies that make firearms, companies that make silencers uh, and other similar products that are regulated and have a serial number attached to them that when they reach a certain point in the manufacturing process, they have to be serialized and therefore are kept track of and are recorded with the ATF. Okay. And by the way, we talked about some similar, you know, things to this, like, some of the the manufacturing side, the FFL side of this with uh, uh, Ryan Kleckner in last week's podcast episode. Episode eight, I believe it was. uh, So anyway, um, that's kind of, you know, where we're at, right? Like that's sort of the backstory, if you will. And basically the Biden administration has made it very clear that they would like to make illegal the idea of so-called ghost guns. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, whether they can, actually do that or how far they can take that that's that's certainly up for debate um but what is clear is the atf is proposing okay i'm going to quote part of the proposed new rule more than one externally visible part may house or hold a fire control component on a particular firearm such as with a split or modular frame or receiver under these circumstances ATF may determine whether a specific part or parts of the weapon is the frame or receiver, which may include an internal frame or chassis at least partially exposed to the exterior to allow identification. And so what they're basically looking to do is 
that um, they're trying to expand what parts uh, would be considered receivers or frames. Uh, they're trying to expand the category of parts, if you will, that would have to be serialized and therefore controlled as a firearm. And therefore, and then what does that require? It would require those types of parts or products to be purchased through a federally licensed dealer. Okay. And by so doing, you know, for instance, I could see how this might be where this might be taken uh, is that that they would be, you know, say, take a polymer 80 kit, right? Um, The polymer 80 kits have a, a little metal piece in the bottom part of the Picatinny rail mm-hmm. that that's intended if you want to do so to, to add a serial number to, by the way, you could actually be a firearm. You could be an FFL uh, dealer and take polymer 80 kits and turn those into firearms and serialize them and then turn around and sell those completely as, as normal, Firearms that are recorded on as part of a the purchase with a through the through a forty four seventy three and all that right like that's totally an option. I think what ATF is trying to do is to require more and more things such as like these kits to actually be serialized um, earlier on, or maybe certain parts like maybe the frame rails. I did say externally visible um, part, and I don't, those frame rails aren't really visible, but I think they're just they're trying to find loopholes, if you will, of how they can classify a greater category of kits or firearm parts to now be considered receivers or frames to therefore be required to be serialized and controlled and only sold through dealers. It's been proposed or suggested this might extend to things like the upper receiver on a, on like an AR-15 style rifle. Okay which currently up to this point, you know, a lower receiver is what was serialized and recorded as a firearm. Okay. Um, Cause it's, it's saying multiples of, um, of, of parts or frames or receivers. Okay. More than one externally visible part may. Okay. And so that would change the whole game as it relates to, you know, what we can buy and how we buy um, things like upper receivers, assembled uppers, that kind of stuff for an AR-15 or similar rifles or, or guns. So, all right, so here's the deal. That's, um, you know, we could go into the weeds on this further, but, you know, we don't have all the time in the world to do that. We'd have a few other stories to cover, but here's the deal. As of a few weeks ago, the ATF opened up public comment. It's, a, it's what's called a public commenting period for a proposed new rule. The ATF is proposing these new rules but when they do this, they open it up for comment. They did something similar with pistol braces, which got a lot of attention from the Second Amendment community. Many people, myself included, uh, submitted comments saying that we disagreed with the proposed rule changes with respect to, you know, where they were trying to basically reclassify pistol braces as stocks, right? And that sort of thing. And so right now, the comment period is open. To where this is your opportunity to voice your feelings and opinions uh, on this proposed rule change. All right. And we're, I'm doing everything I can to make this as simple as possible for you guys. Now, here's the thing before I give you a link, okay, because I create a special short link 
for you to use to make it easy so you can go to the page and submit a comment. But before you do this, please, please, please be respectful in your language in submitting your comment. Okay. If you are not professional, if you don't sound intelligent, if you don't make clearly articulable fact-based points as to why you believe this proposed rule change is wrong or incorrect to, to do, ATF's not going to listen to it. In fact, they're very clear. They, they Under their, the submit a comment section, there's, there's basically guidelines for uh, what you need to consider when you submit those comments. But if you get in there and you're dropping F-bombs and other inappropriate, you know, uh, uh, profane language and, and being um, overly combative, uh, attacking the ATF, that sort of thing in your comment that you submit, they're going to disregard it, okay? And it doesn't reflect very very well on the rest of us as fellow Second Amendment supporters. So this has to be handled appropriately, professionally, with well-thought-out, articulated points, okay? So to make it super simple and easy on you guys, and I think... I'd like to consider even having a page, Matthew. There's other companies that are doing this where they sort of like give you a, a template, if you will. Um, I just haven't been able to throw that together yet, but, but we can look at that. But for right now, we have a short link for you, okay? Just to make this easy because some of you are listening to the to the podcast audio only. But if you go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 80% comments, and that is the letter or the number eight, the number zero, eight zero percent comments that short link will take you right to the atf's page and you'll see that there's the summary of the proposed rules and then you can click the button how to submit a comment and i'll take you to the comment page where you can follow the guidelines for submitting a comment and submit a comment and i would ask that you please do so because i believe it was because of the many comments that were submitted uh in support of pistol braces continuing to be pistol braces that got the ATF to back down on that initiative. All right. And we need to make our voices heard on, on this issue as well. It's very, very, very important because this just very clearly further restricts second amendment rights, your ability and right as an American citizen to make your own firearm. Mm -hmm. So go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 80PERCENTCOMMENTS, concealedcarry.com forward slash 80% comments, and please submit your comment today. All right. Uh, comments from you, Matthew? I know I kind of. No, no, I mean, I, I can't really add anything. You know, it, it it is going to increase the cost for the average gun owner to buy, you know, uh, to, to, to get a firearm because you can't piece put it together yourself. Uh, it infringes, obviously, on the rights. And um, I, I you know, I'm not convinced that doing this will significantly decrease any sort of crime rate or or anything like that. So it, it seems like it, it, it's a failed it's a, it's a. It's a an effort that will be in vain, but only will affect you know it, negatively the people that want to buy firearms or make their own firearms to, for personal defense. So, you know, and, and here you're exactly right. Like criminals, by definition, 
break the law and will continue to do so uh, for all time and in history. Like that's just, that's what bad people do. Um, what's silly about all of this is, Hey, let's take 80%, you know, kits and, and lowers and that sort of thing off the market or make them regulated. And that's going to suddenly mean these uh, criminals can't uh, obtain them and build their own Glocks and stuff. Um, that's very wishful thinking because we're already at a place right now in our history with technology the way it is that that doesn't matter. They can go they for, for 800 bucks, they can go buy a pretty decent 3d printer and 3d print all the same stuff by that meaning essentially the frame and with very crude tools can fashion pretty much everything else to make that lower frame work as a frame and then buy everything else and assemble the gun. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, it's wishful thinking. It will, I agree with you. It will not do anything to change uh, or reduce violent criminal acts and uh, the proliferation of criminally possessed firearms. So, uh, and you can go to any country outside of the United States that has very strict gun control laws, and you'll still find many, many illegal firearms on the streets, including some very creative people that sometimes very crudely make their own firearms from the most basic of parts. You can regulate this all you want, and that sort of thing will still exist. <laughs> All righty, let's move on to Matthew. Why don't you tell us about the constitutional carry bill in jeopardy with threat of govern, governor's veto out of Louisiana? This according to an article you wrote on yep. louisiana.concealedcarry.com. Yeah, just just this morning I, I wrote this. Um, so Senate Bill 118 in Louisiana, um, it is a constitutional carry bill. So um, this year already uh, six states have passed legislation and sent it to the governor's uh, desk for signature. Six states in, in, in this year alone, which is unprecedented. Um, four of them have already been signed in, in the legislation um, by the governor. Um, one of them, Texas, is still awaiting uh, Governor Abbott's signature. Um, and this one in Louisiana is awaiting, has been sent to John Bell Edwards' um, desk to, for signature. Um, the House Bill 124, it was passed, uh, let me see, it was uh, in the House 73 to 26 and in the Senate 27 to 9. So by far, you know, majorities in both uh, both chambers. Um, but he has made statements in the past indicating that he's probably going to veto the bill. Um, even if he does, it seems to be that, you know, the legislature has enough votes uh, given what they voted for, provided they, they don't lose, you know, votes uh, in the in the in the process, but um, to override if it, if they wanted to to override the governor's veto, um, but we'll have to see. Um, he, you know, there's nothing any there's no craziness involved in in the uh, the bill. Uh, it's a straight constitutional carry bill, um, which would remove the 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 permit requirement. Wouldn't do away with the permitting you know, um, system or, or program, because obviously, 
you know, there's still reasons to get a permit, even if your your state has constitution carry. If you travel to other states that don't, you know, you, you may want to have a, a permit that has re, um, reciprocity with that state. Uh, so there, there's that. Um, and, and part of the, the bill also, if, if it gets vetoed, um, there was some language in the bill in the previous uh, uh, concealed carry bill that basically uh, was in conflict if you were a concealed carrier with a firearm and had possessed another weapon like a like a knife. So it was criminalizing, um, and, and that wasn't the intent of the of the the bill. It just was poorly worded, and so this bill would also um, uh, fix that. So hopefully, uh, if he does veto it, it gets overridden. But uh, but yeah, we'll have to see. But that would be the. I mean, that's crazy. That would be the sixth state in th- this year alone. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you know, I understand that sometimes uh, governors will veto things, uh, you know, based on principle, because for whatever reason, that's what they they personally believe, feel, uh, whatever. Uh, in this case, this bill was passed uh, by basically a seventy, very near a seventy five percent majority in the House, and uh, yeah, about the same in the Senate. I mean, it was very overwhelmingly popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, this constitutional carry bill, so. The governor choosing to veto the bill would likely see that overturned would be my guess. So kind of a fruitless effort on his part. Um, You know, I know he says that he feels like the majority of people in Louisiana don't necessarily want this bill, but I would say that 75% of their house and Senate uh, would disagree with that. (laughs) And those are, those are people that are elected from their respective districts um, to represent and be, and be their voice in those legislative bodies. So uh, the governor is just one man and, you know, we have checks and balances in, in our federal and many of our state governments uh, in this country. And that's a very good thing. Um, but uh, yeah, super crazy. I agree that, you know, in one, in, really in about a period of six months, we see six states uh, pass constitutional carry bills. Again, as you mentioned, Texas being only one. In fact, that's our next story here. Texas um, being one that's passed and Governor Abbott says that he's going to sign the bill. I don't know why he hasn't yet, but uh, we're going to talk, talk about that. And of course, the, the other one here being Louisiana, which looks like maybe a veto, but likely overruled. And we'll try to keep you updated on that. Uh, probably our next legislative update episode. Perhaps we'll have, uh, you know, at that point, perhaps we can report that Hey, vetoed, but overturned in the case of this one. And let's jump now to this Texas one. Uh, This has made a lot of waves. You know, I've seen a lot of like social media posts about it. Uh, People uh, really cheering on the the great state of Texas for passing this bill. Um, It's been somewhat controversial. Uh, I've even seen some controversial comments from instructors in Texas that are against this bill. Uh, and we typically see that in, in any number of the states that uh, pursue constitutional carry legislation, uh, there will usually be a, conting- a relatively minority uh, contingent uh, of firearms instructors because the livelihood. It, it, yeah, it, it impacts, uh, they perceive their, their livelihood, um, their ability to teach concealed carry classes and and so it hurts the bottom line, and so therefore they're against it. They'll they'll say it's based off of other things, but really at the core of it, it's a money related thing. Um, 
And, you know, we, we don't need to go into that and, you know, totally debate that side of things. But, uh, uh, but this has got gathered a lot of, uh, you know, attention both on the for and, and against sides of this bill, but overwhelmingly from what I've seen out there, people have been very excited to see Texas pass this legislation. Texas, for as much love as it gets from the general public, you know, the general public's perception of Texas being a very pro-gun state, it's had some interesting laws in the past. It wasn't that many years ago that you couldn't openly carry in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. at least easily. Um, then you had to get a permit to do so. Okay. It's like even up until, well, even as of now, cause this law has yet to go into effect yet. You still have to have a license to carry, which is what a permit in Texas is called to actually carry openly. And that probably is a surprise to some people are like, wait, I thought like open carry. I thought that was just a thing in a state like Texas, <laughs> right? Isn't everybody wearing a six shooter on their hip? Right. Um, but the truth is, is, with respects to at least carrying a gun openly or even concealed, Texas has been a little more strict in that regard than maybe some other also pro-gun states. So this is a big, big change because even in the way the license to carry program is administered in the state of Texas, meaning that they have a, they have a, a, a dictated uh, curriculum, a state mandated curriculum, you have, as an instructor, you have to get approval. You have to go through training. You have to like drive to Austin to go to, um, to, to uh, LTC instructor school, if you will. Uh, like it's, it's a process. Like they, they've had a very controlled process over who can teach LTC classes, how those classes are taught, you know, a certain qualification course of fire that every student has to shoot. That's very meaningless and pointless because it's overly simple. Um, and you had to do all that to apply for and get a, a permit in Texas to carry concealed or openly. Uh, and so to go from that to constitutional carry, baby, is is a big step, I think. And it's a, it's a, it's the right step, especially for Texas. Yeah. So governor sign it. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah, it's weird. Like you and I were talking before the show, like, like it's been a couple of weeks now. Yeah since the law was passed and it's, and it made waves through the news and media and social media, but it's yet as of today, it's yet to be signed by him, even though governor Abbott has indicated that he will sign it. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, well, what has he been on vacation for two weeks or what? <laughs> like, like how hard is it to sign the bill? Right. <laughs> I, I, that's just that, seems kind of odd to me so but presumably he's going to sign it so presumably we we all believe it's going to go into effect um anyway we'll update you once it's <laughs> officially signed into law which again it looks like it's going to be so next up matthew explain to us this whole montana deal so there's been some some stuff going on in montana this legislative session uh both dealing with constitutional carry as well as carrying on college campuses in the state of montana yeah so i'll just give you the brief overview um earlier this year montana was one of the the states that passed constitutional carry uh it's house bill 102 and it, it got passed and um it's been in effect. And so, um, well, let, let me put it, it, it was going to go, to go into effect a, on June 1st, on June 1st, right. It was supposed to go into effect on June 1st. Um, 
part of that bill allowed um, permitless carry, constitutional carry on campuses, college campuses, not not um, K through 12, but college campuses. Um, and, and as the legislation was being crafted, um, they got with uh, what I presume to be several of the university's uh, board of regents and kind of crafted this legislation to um, in, in in conjunction with them, so it would go smoothly, so they could they they wouldn't be caught off guard, and and they would have some say. Um, so part of that legislation uh, talked about. Um, it said the measure forbids the state university from restricting firearm possession on campuses beyond the following, um, requiring gun owners to have safety training, like a hunter's education course. Um, they would require the, uh, firearms be transported in cases or stored with gun locks. The university system would also be, uh, allowed to forbid gun position by students who have been formally disciplined for substance abuse or whatever interpersonal violence means. And then, prohibit possession um, by attendees at football games and other events that were supervised by armed security guards. So there were some restrictions on college campuses. Um, but the, I, I would assume, or what I'm, what I'm getting from this is Montana's um, uh, constitution says that the board of regents of these universities has basically authority to uh, govern what happens on college campuses, almost not autonomously, but um, they have more, more um, control than. Um, yeah. It, it says that it's written into the Montana constitution, right? That the state board of regents has that authority to, mm -hmm. to regulate, if you will, what happens on public campuses. Yeah. So, uh, so a few days ago, I believe it was it was at the 26th, um, the Board of Regents um, wanted to file um, or, or took a case up to the Supreme Court to say we want an injunction on this because on this law, we don't want con uh, people carrying on campus. We don't want them carrying uh, concealed on campus. And um, the Supreme Court refused to hear the case. They said it's not urgent. Um, go back to the district court. Um, so they did. And I believe a couple of days later, a district judge ruled and put in an, a temporary injunction on the law um, until a June 7th. So four days from now, a June 7th hearing where they're going to decide, um, hash out, you know, what's going to happen in the future, if this is going to go into effect or not. So um, in the meantime, it's, it's on hold. Um, but what what kind of struck me is they they made it a point to say when they were crafting this law that they worked with the board of regents to to make a a law that would be acceptable to them and now it seems like things have kind of fallen off the off the track so mm -hmm. um hopefully they get this squared away cuz that's that's got to be a, a a tough thing to have a law that's signed in and now there's an injunction and you know how it is like in Colorado I think you guys had like injunctions with magazine limits and all kinds of different things and it just it confuses people as to what the law actually is. Yeah, um, but that's the sort of thing that happens with these uh, mm -hmm. highly politicized, you know, issues. Um, you know, it's sad because you have this board of regents that is uh, overly concerned. And I say overly because it's true. Overly concerned about this idea of of students or or others uh, being able to carry firearms on campus. 
and and they're overly concerned because there are there's plenty of data out there and numerous case studies of other states that have permitted carrying of firearms on college campuses for a number of years, in some cases for a couple of decades, uh, such as like Utah, um, Idaho now has had campus carry for a few years. Texas has had campus carry for a few years. Kansas, Missouri. Uh, I'm trying to remember others. I know there's others, right? And um, golly, you know, we're sure not hearing about all these worst case scenarios that these board of regents and similar uh, governing authorities over schools in various states have, you know, when this type of issue is brought up. Um, so, you know, they, they have all these concerns, but really those concerns are non-concerns, I believe, in practice because of the examples we have from other states. Um, but that's the way it goes. So, you know, they uh, tried to take it up to the Supreme Court. The state Supreme Court's like, no, uh, start Start with the lower court like you're supposed to, which in this case is is, is a county district court. Um, and it was that judge that said, okay, we're going to put a temporary injunction on this and set a, a hearing date on June 7th. So that's the way it's going to go is it's going to have to uh, be heard at the lower court, at the district court level. Um, depending on how that goes, it'll probably then be fought up to the Supreme, you know, the state, the, the state court, the Supreme Court. From there, probably a state appeals court, probably from there, you know, a federal court, you know, if it's going to go that far, um, which certainly it has that that possibility. Um, so we'll try to keep you apprised. But for now, the constitutional carry bill in the state of, of, uh, of Montana, now the constitutional carry piece of it, and that's one thing I haven't seen a lot of reporting on, Matthew, in your research, you can you can help clarify this, perhaps if you're aware. But but basically, you know, we're talking two issues here: constitutional carry for the state of Montana and campus carry, right. which I believe is what this is specifically yes. dealing with. Mm-hmm. My understanding, as of right now, is that constitutional carry is in effect as of June first in the state of Montana. But you know, we would read constitutional carry, and that's the way this law was written. That well, anywhere that you know. That you would, I mean, basically any public uh, sphere in the state of Montana, you can assume you can carry without, even without a permit. But for now, not college campuses. Mm-hmm. Public, yeah, that, and again, let's be clear: this is public colleges and university campuses, correct? Which is usually how these laws are written and are applied. Um, that's the case in Idaho. It's the case in Utah. It's the case. Oh, Colorado. Geez, there's another example of a state that's had campus carry for like freaking ever, <laughs> and like nothing to show for it. Okay, so anyway, so there you go. That is all the stories that we have time to cover today, guys. Uh, you know, let us let us hear from you if uh, if you have other issues or things you feel like we missed or want to bring something to our attention, you can always contact us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. And now we're towards the end. we got to announce our weekly giveaway winner. So each week uh, we have a revolving door of entries and winners uh, for our weekly podcast giveaway. Um, that podcast giveaway now extends to all podcasts in our podcast network in case you're not 
uh, aware. Uh, so each week you can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize is the short link. And you can sign up for the weekly giveaway. You got to do it though each week. Okay. From basically, what is it? Is it midnight Tuesday night or that? Is that Mon- Monday? Off We're doing Monday to Monday. Ah, Monday to Monday. Yep. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That, that. So, so each week, sometime during that window of time, you've got to go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize, fill out the little form there, sign up for the weekly giveaway. If you want to be considered for that week's drawing. All right. So no purchase required, you know, <laughs> it'll just ask for your email. And, and if you want to get extra entries, you can do, you can share it on Facebook and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and you'll get extra entries and more chances to win. This week we were giving away a Ready Up Gear MCF Spark flashlight. Okay, that's you know I just pulled this off my pants, so that's that's what I was carrying with me here today. 550 lumens, pretty decent throw. It's not the you know it's not the most powerful light in the world, um, but this has for me become a, a very much an EDC light. I have other lights I also carry that that are better performing, but this guy here is like a ton of performance in a very small package and it gets used. I I reserve my bigger, more powerful lights for, for actual tactical applications. This is like my true EDC light um, because it's so easy to carry around, but still has very, very good performance. I just dropped it. Hey, another drop (laughs) test. Let's see if it works. Oh, snap. There you go. You know, when we were testing these things out, I, I dropped uh, my test unit a bunch. Uh, it was all dinged up pretty good, you know, and I did runtime tests with it, uh, leaving it on like constantly, uh, sometimes doing it that back, doing that back, back to back. Um, just like, I mean, the thing was like, like steaming hot, you know, <laughs> and I was just like, is this thing going to fry, fizz out, you know? catch on fire, you know, anything like that. And, uh, it took everything I threw at it. So, um, anyway, MCF spark flashlight from ready up gear this week's winner, please, Matthew drum roll. This week's winner, Mr. Daniel, Daniel S. You are the lucky winner. Daniel S. Congratulations, Daniel. We'll get you sent out a ready up gear, MCF spark flashlight. MCF, by the way, stands for, uh, hold on. Modular, there we go. I was going to say <laughs> miniature, but it's modular compact flashlight because miniature compact wouldn't make much sense. Mm. Yeah, modular compact <laughs> flashlight. So anyway, check it out. By the way, if you're interested in the uh, MCF Spark, go to readyupgear.com. You'll find it there on the website. Now for this coming week, Matthew, we're giving away what? A draw like a pro course with none other than Riley T. Bowman. Oh yeah, online video training course. Um, it's a, that's a fun one. It kind of took a little bit of a different uh, approach than some of our other training videos. Um, so yeah, enjoy that. All right. So one lucky winner of the draw like a and I, is that an actual physical? Is, do we even have it? Yeah, that's, I think that's, it's a digital that's the online yeah. streaming, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think it's like a nineteen ninety nine value or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. So. Cool, guys. If you'd like to uh, have a chance at winning a your your own online copy of, and you can you can stream it anytime on pretty much any device, uh, go to again concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize to sign up for the weekly giveaway to have a chance to win draw like a pro. 
So with that, we're at the end. Guys, we're going to be back here uh, very shortly with our second episode for today. Uh, so we'll look forward to seeing you back. For all those, all those of you in podcast land out there listening, we'll see you in a couple of days when the next episode's released. So until then, though, don't forget, train right, train often, and train safe so that you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.